Hey guys, I want you to know that my mom was an expert in the almost but not quite category of Christmas gifts. Mom was a wonderful lady, but she frequently almost got Christmas right. Back in the day, in every mall in America, there was a Sears store, and uh, Sears every Christmas would publish a Christmas catalog. It's called a wish book. And in my family, I would take that book and I would go through it and I would circle the presents I thought were good presents and I would dog ear the page so mom could find it. Our family, Christmas was mostly socks and pants and clothes and stuff like that, but we got one good present and I always wanted to make sure that I got the good present right, so I would diligently search the catalog. And if you don't know what it was like, think maybe if Amazon printed their Christmas list. So I mean, it was just a whole bunch of Christmas stuff and, and I had mine picked out. And mom frequently got it almost, but not quite right. When I was five, this is what I wanted or something like this. Uh, that's a car you actually got in and pedaled and drove around the neighborhood. Didn't have a battery in it like today's cars where you can just drive it, you know, the kid can drive it up and around the driveway. You had to provide the power yourself. And I thought it would be cool to have a little red convertible and drive around the street on Leamington Street in Chicago. That's what I wanted. And this is what I got. a red tractor. I pedaled it and it had a steering wheel and now some of you are going, I'd rather have a tractor. But I was a Chicago boy, a city boy and I hadn't been on farms and I didn't want a tractor, I wanted a car. Mom and dad had, mom grew up on a farm and she thought we got this one right but she was almost but not quite right. A few years later, I decided that what I really wanted was a train set. And um, I had this image in my mind of how it was going to work. We were going to set it up in the basement and there were going to, there's going to be a bridge over a river and there's a town and there were trees and a mountain and it would loop in around behind the furnace. I don't know why in my mind I have it going behind the furnace, but in my mind I do. And it was very clear what it was going to happen. It was a train set and I wanted it and I was clearly circled it. And this is what I got. Not quite a train set, there was a track there, there were two cars, they raced each other. Now quite honestly, it might have been actually a cooler, more contemporary present than the, one, than the one I wanted. But I was disappointed and had to manage my disappointment because I wanted a train set. Didn't get one. So uh, what's next? It was, I was 19. And um, I wanted a very specific kind of pants. I want to show you what mom and dad came up with. Now, you can't really see these pants very well. This is not exactly it, but I wanted a pair of jeans that were striped. And if you look real carefully, you can see a little white stripe running through those pants. Skinny, narrow. The, the pants my mom got me were even skinnier and narrower striped than that. They looked like train engineer pants, except they were maroon and white. Um, my mom was not the most fashion conscious person in the world and didn't really care about contemporary fashion all that much. And uh, she not only got me pants that were just out of style and not cool, but she was thrilled because she got a deal and got two pairs for one price. And I got two pair of pants I never wanted to wear. Now I'm going to show you a picture of what I'd asked for. And I'm guessing you're going to laugh at it. So here it is. Yeah. 
I'd ask for striped bell-bottom jeans. In my mind, my mom wasn't even close. It wasn't almost, not quite, she just whiffed at it. And some of you are laughing at me for my fashion choices, but you gotta understand, I was 20 years old, and fashion is fashion, and at different ages it means different things. And for those of you who are laughing at me for wanting striped bell-bottom pants, you're asking for jeans with holes in them for Christmas. My mom was an expert at almost, but not quite. I'm wondering what kind of giver you are. Not just talking about what you're going to buy your little brother on Amazon for Christmas. But in life, as you consider your relationship with God, what kind of giver are you? This is Christmas Chapel. And it goes without saying, except I'm going to say it that God got the very first gift absolutely right. Wasn't almost, but not quite. It was absolutely right. It was God the Son wrapped in human flesh full of grace and truth, the perfect representation of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, the eternal one who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, in order to purify us from our sin. The list of Jesus' characteristics goes on and on and God got it perfectly right. And in the light of what he's given us, what are you giving him back? I'm convinced that a lot of us specialize in almost, but not quite. Today we're gonna sit for a while in a very familiar passage of scripture. I've looked at it with you a couple times in my five years here, and it's not considered a Christmas scripture, but, um, but we're gonna take a look at it anyway because I think it's applicable to what we're talking about today. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul lays out God's plan for the redemption of humankind. He talks about God's revelation of himself and he talks about our sin and he talks about how we were lost and he talks about how while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, he gave himself for us so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be restored, so that our lives could be complete. And that's the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's theologically deep, it's rich in, in hope, it's an amazing passage of, section of scripture, and then he comes to Romans chapter 12, and in Romans chapter 12 he talks about our response. It begins with therefore, and anytime you read the word therefore, you ought to look ahead before it to see what the therefore is there for, and the therefore that we're dealing with is all that Christ has done for us, all that God has done for us, this hope of redemption that we have, says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's not almost but not quite it's full surrender do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will in the Jewish sacrificial system where Paul's talking about a sacrifice an animal was presented to the priest for a sin offering 
the owner brought it in, let it in, and then gave up control of it, took his hands off. It was then killed and placed on the altar where it was consumed by fire and nothing was left except smoke. This is the image that the Apostle Paul is trying to create in the minds of his readers, of his listeners. Calling people to surrender and an image that sticks in my mind is hands off surrender. I don't know if you remember being a little kid, maybe six or seven years old, and you had a little brother or sister. You were playing with a toy and you put it aside and went on to something else, and then your little brother or sister grabbed that toy themselves and you decided that you wanted it just because they wanted it, and you grab hold of it too, and there's this tug of war back and forth, and he's dragging it and you're dragging it, and then one of you inevitably starts crying and screaming and yelling at the other, and mom comes in and says, stop, and you don't stop, and all of a sudden, hands off! and you lift your hands and surrender and give up that toy for a moment, that's an image I want us to stick in our head of hands off surrender to the Lord. All too often, we say, Lord, I bring myself to you. Here I am, I surrender, but it's a conditional kind of surrender. It's I'll take my hands off except here. God, you can have anything you want from me, but but this is what I'm doing for a career. And this is my profession, and this is my plan. And I'll do whatever you want me to do, but don't touch this. I'm gonna be a nurse, or I'm gonna be a doctor, or I'm gonna be a pastor, or I'm gonna be a school teacher, or I'm gonna be a counselor, and that's what I'm going to be. And don't mess with that, Lord. Lord, I surrender, but keep your hands off my love relationship. This is the person for me. This is what I'm going to do. I surrender, I love you, but hands off. Lord, I surrender, but don't touch. Can you think of something in your life where you've been hesitant to lean into God and say, here, take this? That's caused you to think and when surrender is talked about, but what about this or what about that and I'm afraid and what if it me- God messes me up? Surrender where we say, Lord, I'll give you this, but not that. It's not surrender. It's control. Surrender with a condition is an almost, but not quite gift to God. It may sound good. It may look good. You may convince yourself that it's okay, but it's still almost, but not quite. And Paul comes and says, make a hands-off surrender. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You know, when the, when the animal is on the altar and it was being consumed, smoke goes up. Have you ever tried to grab a handful of smoke? And there's nothing there? That's the kind of full surrender that Christ is asking of us. Give yourself completely. This is a reasonable and rational response to his sacrifice and his love for us. But one of the reasons we struggle with hands-off surrender is because we're afraid that surrender to God will be narrow and confining, that it will narrow our options. We ask, what if he asks me to do this or what if he asks me to do that? What if it's too hard? What if it's too weird? And I think that Paul gives us a snapshot view into how 
hands-off surrender leads to full satisfaction, but it's combined with something else besides surrender, and I'm gonna call it hands-on obedience. That I'm gonna engage myself in obeying the Lord. Somewhere along the line, a lot of us have bought into the lie of Satan that surrendered to God is negative, that it'll limit us, that it's somehow gonna be hard, that it's gonna be difficult, that it'll make our lives miserable. And Paul tells us in the scripture we read to test and approve what God's will is, to approve it and discover that it is good and that it is pleasing and that it's perfect. Now, I will tell you, theoretically, I always knew that God's will was good. It was the the right thing. And theoretically, I always knew that God's will was perfect because God's God and his will has to be perfect since he is. But I will tell you the place I struggled with and the place I doubted and the place I wrestled, and and that was that it was pleasing. I was afraid. What if God asks something that's so hard? What if I can't give up this or can't don't want to give up that it's narrowing it's limiting Paul says no it's not put God to the test test it and prove it by through your obedience don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then live in obedience to him and something begins to blossom in our lives that's what Paul says and you'll discover something as you live with hands-on obedience all in It is pleasing if we're more than almost but not quite. And if we're almost but not quite, it'll always feel a little bit limiting to us. The reason that so many of us feel that God's way is not working for us is that we're not working on obedience. And we never get to the good, pleasing, and perfect part. because we've got hands on. Let me give you a suggestion. Let me give you a thought. Let me give you an invitation. Here's the suggestion. Learn to ask yourself this question. What would a really surrendered person do in this moment? I mean, I'm not asking you to make that suggestion as you're standing in line at Baldwin and you have to decide between beans and and peas. What would a surrendered person do? He'd go get a hamburger and fries. (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. But learn to ask that question about the issues in your life. What would a really surrendered person do in this moment? If if a really surrendered person were asking this question, what would he do? And, And then do that. That's the suggestion. Here's the thought. Craig Grossell says, God can do more with your surrender than you can with your control. So often we don't surrender because we're afraid and we end up limited rather than blessed and fulfilled. God can do more than your surrender than you can with your control and any point you're hesitant to say what would a truly surrendered person do and do that you go but what if but what if but what if remind yourself of what Goshel says God wants to do more with you 
And here's the invitation. In a minute, the band is going to lead us in a song. It's going to give us a moment to consider a next step for our lives. Some of you are graduating next week. Shout out to you. One person's graduating next week. (laughs) And if you haven't done it yet, you need to resolve who ultimately will be in control of your life. We are in an environment where we are surrounded by Christian influences and it's easy to conform to the patterns of the Christian world instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's time if you're graduating that you really engage that reality to say I'm gonna be hands off in surrender and hands on in obedience so that my life cannot be almost but quite right, but that my commitment can be everything that God wants. Now, most of you are not graduating. It's still time to make that decision. You don't have to wait till the last gasp moment of being a, a university student. It's the same question you have to ask yourself. It's the question that everybody needs to ask themselves, who's gonna be in control of me? And the answer for me needs to be God. Have I been living an almost but not quite life? That's a question to wrestle with. And if you are, isn't it time to stop that? Let me read you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, mini commentary about this passage of scripture and see if you can find the delight of it in your life. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and respond quickly to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. When you are not almost but not quite, but you are fully committed and committed to be right. The band is going to lead us. I'm wondering if you might think of yourself. Think of the things you're hanging on to. I'm wondering as you grab those things, whether as they sing, if you can seriously make this decision that says, Lord, I'm taking my hands off me. I'm grabbing hold of you. Some of you might even want to mark this moment in your life. I have some of those moments in my life where I can look back and say, I made a decision that day. It changed me. You might even want to slip from where you're sitting, walk up here and take that thing you're hanging on to figuratively and just drop it at the altar and walk away with your hands out and up and empty 
saying, God, I'm hands off with you. Hands off in commitment. Hands on in obedience. This is my day to declare I'm getting it right with your help. Jesus, help us now to take this moment seriously as we think about the joy that comes in surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.